Good morning, everybody. Are you well? It's good to see you here. Amen. Good to see you, to worship together. Good to have you with us as well. Everybody online, welcome. I'm really glad you are connecting with us today. And to those of you who are listening, we've got a number of people, they cannot access the internet and they listen to this message. So good to have you with us as well. Whether you are online, whether you are listening, whether you are present here, welcome. And it's so good to know that He loves us as we've been singing this last song. How He loves us. And sometimes I wonder if we understand how much God loves us. We are celebrating communion today together. And no greater love has a man than this, than to give his life for his friends. And that's the kind of love that Jesus has for us. He gave his life so that the price of our sins could be settled, that we could be forgiven, that we could be with him for eternity. And I just wonder as we sing, oh, how he loves us. And I think we, we, it's easy to say that, how he loves us. Let me ask you this. How much do you love him? How do you love him? And I think we need to reflect on that. You know, church, as I, as I sat here last Sunday and I listened to last Sunday's message, remember, all in, I, I was reminded of a couple of episodes from my, from my own journey of faith. As, we, as, as, as Tanya was talking about being all in, I remember the night that I decided to be all in. I was a Christian. I was in church on Sundays. During the week, I did my thing. <laughs> I, I, I was in that fortunate or unfortunate position that on Sunday, everybody that was with church on me, with me on Sunday was not with me during the week. Nobody in my school went to my church. <laughs> And so I had this kind of double life, you know, on Sunday, there I was looking all holy. And during the week, I was doing my thing, you know, and trying to be the guy, the man, chasing the girls and other stuff. Until that night, where this preacher got up and he read from the book of Revelation, I'd rather you be hot or cold, but because you're neither hot nor cold, you look warm, I'm going to spew, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. And the Holy Spirit pointed a long finger at me and said, Valdir, that is you. You say you believe me. You go to church on Sunday. You do the right things. But then, during the week, you don't live up to the Christian standard. You are warm. Make your choice, one or the other. Because if not, you're going to be vomited out of the mouth of God. And I said, that's it. That's it. Today. I'm all in. And from that moment, something changed in my life. I became all in. I began to live my life more consistently. The, 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 the decision was overnight. The change took a bit longer. But the decision was overnight. And I can look back to that night and I can see the, the, the progress, how God began to help me to let go of the ways of the world and to connect more and more with Him. And He's calling all of us to that. 
And so I was sitting over there and I was thinking back on some of these things. And, and so as we prepare to take communion today, I, I want us to pause a little bit and reflect on some of the things that we have been hearing here today. It's going to be just a single message about this. Next week, we'll start again on a series. We'll an exciting series about a New Testament book. But today, I just want us to stop a little bit and reflect on the things we've been hearing here lately. Reflect on the meaning that communion has for us today. And reflect on our way forward as believers. Some of you who were here in person last week, and some of you who were, were uh, you know, online with us, um, you gave us feedback on how the Word ministered to you last Sunday. Some of you felt like, whoa, the Word was for me. The Word was, mm, ouch, some of you said. And, and it's not that you felt guilty, it's that you felt convicted. Because the Lord was speaking to us one way or the other. And some of you felt convicted of your need to take your Christian walk and disciplines more seriously. And I know statistically that for every one that gives us feedback, there can be five to seven others who felt the same way but did not speak up. That's how we are. You don't always give feedback, you know. And so I believe that the Holy Spirit spoke to many of us, both here and online, the Spirit was speaking to us. And, and not only last Sunday, but over the last few weeks, we have had clear word from the Bible which has breathed life into us by the Holy Spirit, reminding us to prioritize the King and His kingdom. You must remember, that is the opposite of what the world wants us to do. The world wants us to prioritize me, myself, and I. It's all about me, you know. But the Bible says, no, 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 it's all about the king and his kingdom. And, and lately, the word of God has been talking to us about that. The Holy Spirit has been breathing that message to us, reminding us to prioritize the word of God, to prioritize our fellowship together as we meet, to prioritize our feeding on the word of God. And as I sat there, I was reminded of a phrase that I heard more than once in my youth. In those years, as I was kind of developing my faith and, and, and settling into my walk with Christ. And here is the phrase, which is also the title of this message. Here is the phrase, a crown without a cross. A crown Without a cross. Hang with me. Listen carefully. This is going to become clear to you very quickly, okay? A crown without a cross. What does it mean? Well, today we, we, we celebrate communion. Why are we doing this? Because Jesus told us to do it. He says, often when you get together, remember me. Take some bread, take some wine, take some grape juice, just break bread and, and remember what I did for you on that Passover weekend so long ago. Remember that he died for our sins according to scripture. Remember that he was buried and remember that on the third day he rose from the dead according to scripture. Hallelujah. That weekend Jesus had to bear a heavy cross. 
A cross of suffering, a cross of shame, a cross of rejection, a cross of unfairness. And no one could have done what he did, but he did it. But what about today? <laughs> today, Jesus is known as the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. <laughs> and he's going to come back to earth as a powerful king, wearing a multifaceted crown. And this is what John saw. When Jesus comes to, to judge the beast which has been against the principles of the kingdom, John had a glimpse of this and he writes this in Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 to 13. This is what John saw. Now I saw heaven opened and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. Who's that? Jesus. Huh? And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. That's Jesus. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, multifaceted crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a white robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. The Son is the Word. Jesus is the Word. So you see, on that weekend, long ago, Jesus carried a heavy cross. But today, he wears a crown. You see, there is no crown without a cross. We need to get this, guys. There is no crown without a cross. I'm reminded of the words of a song of some time back which says the following. There's no victory without a fight. There's not a sunrise without a night. There's not a purchase without a cost. There's not a crown without a cross. You see, the victory of Jesus did not come without a fight. He was engaged in a fight to get his victory. And we were purchased at a very high cost. The cost of the life of Jesus. The cost of the blood of Jesus. But now here comes the part of which I was reminded last Sunday. Because you see, the Bible teaches that we will also receive crowns. Jesus, he's king, he's got a crown, but those who follow him, those who live for him, we are also going to receive crowns. We are promised crowns. You follow Jesus, you will receive a crown. There are at least five crowns that the Bible speaks about. I'm just going to mention them to you, it's not a deep study, but you can go and check this up. There is an imperishable crown. You read about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Verses 24 to 25. The crown that we receive from the Lord will not perish. The, the crowns we receive in this life, in this world, they perish. You know, the, the, the awards you receive when you're in school, when you're in sports, at work, and so forth, eventually they just perish. Nobody ever thinks about them again. But the crown we receive from Jesus is imperishable. There is a crown of glory, 1 Peter Chapter 5, verse 4. It's a crown of glory. 
It's a crown. There's a crown of rejoicing. 1 Thessalonians 2, 19. There is no joy like the joy in the presence of the Lord. There is a crown of rejoicing. There is a crown of righteousness. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8. You see, in Christ, we are made righteous. And you can receive this crown of righteousness. Not because you are such goody goodies, but because Jesus has paid the price for our sins. And we can take upon ourselves His righteousness. And there is a crown of life. Revelation 2.10. And not just life for a few years, it's abundant eternal life. And these five crowns, they are ours. Jesus wants to give us these crowns. Potentially, they are ours because that is why Jesus died. He paid the price for these crowns that you and I can have these crowns. But, unfortunately, the Bible also tells us that our crowns can be stolen. Again, Revelation chapter 3, 11, words of Jesus. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have. Hold on tightly to what you have that no one may take your crown. Man, we run the danger of losing our crown. And when you look up, you know, the use of the word crown in the Bible, you find that crown signifies, signifies a number of things. It signifies a, a position of holiness before Christ. And so someone wants to steal my position of holiness before Christ. Crown signifies Perseverance in the face of sufferings and challenges of life. Everybody in this planet will face challenges. If somebody told you that if you're a Christian, you're never going to have problems in your life, they lied to you. Because if you're a human being on planet Earth, you're going to face challenges, you're going to have some trouble, some trials and tribulations. But... Crown signifies I persevere even through those troubles. And somebody wants to steal that perseverance from me, that crown of perseverance. Somebody wants me to give up when I face troubles. Somebody wants me to walk away when I face challenges. Somebody wants me to give up when things don't go the way I want them to go. A crown also means honor and reward for remaining faithful to Christ. It is shocking to me as I read the media how many Christians, how many Christian leaders, Christian artists have turned their back to Christ. And they do it openly, publicly, and in a big way. The crown of faithfulness was stolen from them. They couldn't remain faithful to Christ until the end. A crown also symbolizes the people that God has placed you in fellowship in the body of Christ. In fact, if you go to the book of Philippians, Paul calls the Philippians his crown. He often referred to his fellow believers, you are my crown. And to me, it's a joy to, to fellowship with you. It's a joy to know brothers and sisters. It's my crown to be part of a family. 
of believers. But guess what? Somebody wants to steal my crown. Somebody wants to separate me from the fellowship of my family. Somebody wants me to find excuses not to get together, not to gather, to give up on the church, to give up on being together with other believers, to get irritated with people, to get disappointed with people. Guess what, man? If you live in this world, you're going to get irritated sometimes with people, even those close to you, work colleagues, family members, fellow believers in the church. It happens. Now, are we going to give up? There's someone who wants to steal my crown. And, the, and Jesus said, hold fast to what you have, that no one may steal your crown. Now, here's the thing. Too many Christians today, they want the crown, but they do not want a cross. You see, as, as I've been mentioning to you, some of these trials and tribulations, and these, these things are a cross that we have to carry. Living in this planet is not easy. Following Christ is not easy. It's going to require some sacrifice, some discipline. It's going to require us to carry a cross. And when I talk about carrying a cross, I'm not talking about the, the cross you might wear as a jewelry around your neck or a pen. No. I'm not talking about a, a cross decoration in your home. When Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me, he wasn't talking about a, a tattoo in the shape of a cross. Okay? Or maybe a sticker that you put in your car. No. <laughs> a cross means discipline. A cross means facing trials and temptations and tribulations. A cross means dealing with difficult situations and, and difficult people without compromising your commitment to Jesus and to his church. A cross means behaving differently than the world behaves. To think differently than the world thinks. To speak differently than the world speaks. A cross is not pleasant. A cross is not full of pleasure. A cross is not comfortable. Therefore, to carry a cross means that at times your life will not be pleasant, your life will not be comfortable, and your life will not be full of pleasure. There are seasons of life. And what are you going to do? Just chuck the cross away and, and leave it alone? And still want a crown afterwards? No. A cross is something difficult to carry sometimes. So, what about it? Are, are, you, are we still in? Are we still going to carry a cross or are you just going to let it go? Come on. And, and what I heard as a teenager and what was reminded us as I was listening to the preaching is this. That many believers want a crown, but they are not prepared to carry their cross. They want Christianity light. <laughs> Easy Christianity with no demands, no need to change, huh? no discipline, no life change. And guess what? All these years later, it was about in the 70s when I, when I heard this, this phrase. And all these years later, guess what? It's still happening. Things have not changed. Still today. They are Christians seeking a crown without a cross. How? 
Jesus, they, they just say, man, just, just say a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, I receive you. Thank you. Amen. That's it. I'm done. I don't have to change anything. Now I can just carry on living as usual because I made a prayer. Or because I was baptized as a baby. Oh, because I was baptized as a grown-up. Now I'm saved. Now I belong to the church. Now I can do anything I want. God understands. Jesus understands. He knows if I lose my temper and I, you know, and I say a big swear word. Or if, if to cool things down, I drink a little bit too much. Or, uh, you know, things are not fine at home, so I'll just have a little something on the side here. God understands. God understands. You know, God is merciful. God is just. Oh, the grace of God. People, Christians are talking like that today. Christians are justifying their sins today. They want a crown, but no cross. They still want to go to heaven one day. They want to have the crown. But they want to live life here according to their fleshly desires. That is a great big lie of the devil. Definitely. Which has trapped, and is still trapping many Christians. The enemy is stealing the crowns of believers with such lies. And church, Awaken Life Church, I'm talking to you. This is a warning for us. Bible says if you stand, beware lest you fall. Today we are standing. But if you don't listen to this, if you're not careful, tomorrow we could fall. Tomorrow we could lose our crown. So this is a warning for all of us, guys. And I'm not saying this to bring guilt or, or... No, this is the Word of God coming to us so that we may be alert, watching, so that our crowns don't get stolen. I love you guys. I love this church. I love all of you, online and here. Those of you watching in other parts of the country, other parts of the world, listen to this message. It's for our good, for our benefit. Amen? The enemy is stealing the crowns of believers with lies. To be a follower of Christ means to reflect Christ and his character as you do life on this planet. Do you mean I've got to become like Christ? Well, that should be our aim. Yes. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. (laughs) Be my imitators. So, How many people can you go to tomorrow at work and say, hey, if you want to follow Christ, just follow me. Do exactly what I do. Huh? Or or, or is there still some change that you need to do in your life before you taught them to follow? You see, guys, that's the aim. And and the devil has lied to us. No, yes, you know, God understands. You are only human and this and that. It's true. We are only human. Yes, we are broken. Yes, there is weakness. But our aim should be to become more and more like Christ. Huh? Like I told you just now, my decision took a moment, the change took some time, and it's still taking place, believe me, because as long as we live on this planet, these adjustments needed to be made. But I can look back and I can see things I gave up, things I stopped doing, things which were difficult for me to give up back then. Today, it's easier. Don't even think about it, because it's become part of my new nature in Christ. And so all it takes is a decision and then following Christ. To be a follower of Christ means to reflect Christ and his character as we do life on this planet. Let me ask you a question, guys. If you, if you, if you, you are listening to me, you watching, you here present. If you 
would accused of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Don't, don't answer me. Just, just think about it. I want you to reflect about this. Go home and think about this. As you do life this week, think about this. As you go to work, as you go to play, as you go to gym, as you do your sports, as you go to school, think about this. If somebody charged me with, you're a Christian, you accused me of being a Christian, is there enough evidence to prove that you are a Christian? I, I'm reminded of the story of a guy who went to the army back in the days when, you know, guys had to go to the army, one year in the army. And this pastor prayed for the guy. He says, son, you're going to the army. It's going to be tough over there, but I pray that God will keep you, you know, and that, uh, yeah, you know, you're going to have to, to, to stand and, and be a witness, but um, the Lord give you strength, okay? Go. God bless you as you go. And the guy went to the army. A year later, he's back at church. <laughs> and the pastor so how was your, your army stint? Was there a lot, of, a lot of persecution because you're a Christian? He said, no, pastor. Nobody even knew that I was a Christian. Now, if you know anything about the army, what this guy was saying is this, no, pastor, nobody noticed I was a Christian because I, I, I smoked like everyone else smoked. And I got drunk like everybody else got drunk. And I swore like everybody else swore. And I even got into some fights like everybody gets into fights. And so nobody even noticed that I was a Christian. I made it, hallelujah. I just kept low. Unfortunately, today, there are Christians doing that in their workplace, in their study place, at school, at gym, and so on, and so on. They live exactly like the world, but they want their crown because they made a prayer sometime. And because deep inside, they know they should believe in God. We have to be careful, people. Here is another lie that the enemy of the enemy to steal a crown. And you, you're hearing this more and more. From the word, from the mouth of Christians. They say, the church is a man-made organization. It's not God's idea. I need God. I don't need the church. I love Jesus. I don't love the church. Huh? And it's becoming popular for people not to associate themselves with the church. They'll read their Bible on their own. They'll go to the park and pray, you know. And they don't need the church. Which leads to... Such thoughts and attitudes such as, I don't need to go to church to worship God. I can do it in my heart. <laughs> my relationship with God is personal. It's between me and God. It's personal. I don't need the church. Others don't turn against the church. But especially in these days, they think like this. I'd rather stay home and watch church online like this, I have a wide choice of services that I can watch in my time when it's convenient for me in the comfort of my home without having to deal with people. Hallelujah. Many are thinking that way these days. They're not linked to any way. They just go, what, what, what's the best? What? Oh, I want to hear this guy today. Um, if they've got time, when they've got time. Now, Awaken Life Church, let me say that the point I'm bringing now is a general problem, okay? I'm not targeting you. This is not an accusation to Awaken Life Church. I'm talking about a general problem in the church. I'm warning you so that you don't fall there yourself, okay? 
Just now, I will quote from an author from another country. And you will see that this is a general trend which we must be aware of and be warned not to fall into this trap as well. Look, I do understand that some people, both in our church and in other churches and other places, due to their unique circumstances, they cannot attend in-person services. And online is their only way to have fellowship and to be connected and to be part of the church, to worship and to gather with us. And that is fine. And that is why we continue live streaming even though the uh, restrictions have been lifted and everyone can gather again. But you are still going to continue doing this because of such people that for various reasons cannot be in person. So I get that. I understand that. But I also know that this pandemic, guys, this last two and a half years, huh? this pandemic has allowed some people to settle into their zone of comfort. Hmm. To the point where they don't even think of going to church anymore. Comes the weekend, comes Sunday. Oh yes, it's time for me to watch the service. They don't even think about coming to church. Service has become their day of rest. It's their day to sleep late. It's their day to go to parties. It's their day to, you know, spend with family. They say, we're going to prioritize the family, you know. It's their day to do shopping. It's their day to do sports. Their day to do social activities that they enjoy. But worship, word, and fellowship is not their priority. This is a fact, people. This is a trend which has trapped many Christians in the Western world. They find time to go everywhere but not to church. Life has returned to normal in other areas of their lives, but it is always an excuse not to attend church in person or online. <laughs> Reports we get from different corners of the world indicate the same trends. Churches have opened, but in most cases, the numbers are not back. It's the reality. And what we need to understand is this. The church is not man's idea. The church, the local church, the gathering together is God's idea. As imperfect as churches are, when you read the New Testament, you quickly see that the church is God's idea. We need to understand that we don't go to church. We are the church. This is the church. People, yeah, when the service is over and everybody leaves, this is just an empty building. The church has left the building. The church is going out there to infiltrate the city. The church is going to work tomorrow, going to school, going to have fun, going to the gym, going this, going that. We are the church. Hmm? When you read the New Testament, <laughs> you read more about the church than about the teachings of Jesus. Why? Because it's God's idea. Jesus chose this weak vessel called the local church, made up of imperfect people, to show His grace to the world and proclaim the gospel to them. 
And man, God could have chosen angels or archangels, you know, or other more impressive means to communicate to the world. But he chose you. He chose me. He wants us to go out there and tell people, hey, Jesus loves you. (laughs) You need Jesus. He died for you, man. He loves you. He chose you and I to go and do that job. Huh? And, and when, you, when we do it, people may laugh at us. Who do you think you are to come and talk to me about God? Huh? <laughs> and, and, and we might be laughed at sometimes. You might be ridiculed at sometimes. But sometimes people will listen to you. And they'll say, tell me more. I want to know more about Jesus. And maybe you can lead one more person to Jesus. That's part of carrying our cross. Sometimes being ridiculed and rejected by the world. But it's easier sometimes just to keep quiet and, you know, be incognito. And we don't, we own the crown without the cross. <sighs> the Bible says that Jesus, you see, if, if those want to get rid of the church, they must get rid of Jesus as well. <laughs> because the two are linked together. The Bible says that Jesus is the head of the church which is his body. You and I are his body. He is the head. So if you don't want the church, you don't want Jesus either. Hmm. So whether we like it or not, if you want to follow Jesus, you need to be part of a local church. You need the fellowship. We need one another. Those who want to get rid of the church must, as I said, get rid of Jesus too. Sometimes the church is not comfortable nor convenient. I understand that. And that is when you pick up your cross and you follow the will of God, not your own will, not your own comfort, not your own fleshly desires. Because you are called to follow Him. Pick up our cross and follow Him. But you want to follow Him without the cross. You want the crown without the cross. And of course, this, this, this points to another big player in society these days, which is consumerism. We have become great consumers. And it's easy these days. It's, it's, it's a change which has happened during the pandemic. You know, from the comfort of your home, you can order just about anything. You can go online, you can compare prices, compare quality, and you can place your order and it gets delivered to your doorstep. Oh, it's wonderful. It's very convenient. It is good. But not when you apply that kind of consumerism to your spiritual life. Uh uh-uh. uh. <laughs> to some people, this is how they see it. Well, here I am, alone, worshiping God on my schedule when it's convenient for me. <laughs> Isn't that the ultimate Christian consumerism? I'll do it when I, whenever I can, the way I can, if I can, if I want. It's it, it, it's it's Christianity on demand. When I need it, it's there. So instead of me serving Christ, Christ serves me, you know, whenever I want. Consumerism. I want you to to listen to a quote. I'm going to quote now from an author from Canada, Carrie Newhoff. And he writes on this dangerous trend among believers. Now, he's noticed this in Canada and the United States. But as I read reports from other parts of the world, including South Africa, I see the same trend. And so, guys, I'm reading this as a warning. We need to wake up to be alert, okay? Awaken life. I'm trying to bring awake, awaken us to, to realities of life so that we don't fall into the trap of Satan, so that our crowns don't get stolen. He writes the following. Listening to a podcast of your favorite preacher 
while you're at the gym or on the back deck pushing three of your favorite worship songs through your earbuds does not make you a more passionate Christ follower. It usually makes you a less effective one. Disconnecting yourself from community is actually less faithful than connecting yourself to a flawed community. And every local church, every local community, none is perfect. They're all flawed, but it's better to be connected to a flawed community than to nothing at all. If you think the church today isn't enough, and arguably we need to reform it, then do what the early Christians did. If you want a more biblical church, don't gather weekly, gather daily. Hmm. But that's what they did, isn't it? Gather daily, before dawn. Get up before the sun rises to pray together with other Christians before you go to work. Pull your positions. Put it all together. Don't claim anything as your own. Be willing to lose your job, your home, your family, and even your life because you follow Jesus. Hello? This was first century Christianity. Then you'll be more authentic. And notice that the early church did indeed gather. Gathering always leads to some form of organizing. To pretend that the church doesn't need to be organized is as logical as arguing that society doesn't need to be organized. Because community is inevitable, organization is inevitable. Our ability to organize and to accomplish more together than we can alone is one of the crowning achievements of humanity. And our ability to work together makes the Christian effort far more effective. It's also part of God's design for how we should interact while we're on this planet. Come to think of it, heaven is a community too. The only one who wants us to believe that we are better off alone is our enemy, the devil. And if you really think about it, it's actually a very clever tactic. Hmm? All right? And why is it clever? Because when you isolate a coal from the fire, it dies quickly. What did Jesus say? Take up your cross and follow me, Matthew 16, 24. Christ's cross is Christ's way to Christ's crown. Last week, in the message, Tanya compared our faith walk to doing jam. No pain, no gain. Remember what you said? And by the way, if you missed that message, please, you have to go to our website and listen to it, okay? If you missed it, go back to our website and listen to it. So she compared our faith walk to gym. The Apostle Paul compares our faith walk to athletics. Here's what he said, 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27. Do you not know, 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27, do you not know that in a race all runners run but only one gets the prize, run in such a way as to get the prize. In, in athletics, only one gets to one. But in our faith walk, we can all get the prize. Amen? Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. 
They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Remember, an everlasting crown. Back in the days of the Olympic Games, the winner would get a little, little thing of, of leaves. Just a little thing they put on their head, you know, and a little wreath. After a couple of days, it dried up. It had to throw it away. But our crown is forever. Strict training talks about discipline. It talks about taking up your cross. Verse 26, therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. In other words, he's not running aimlessly. He's focused. We must be focused, not distracted. Don't let anyone nor anything steal your crown. Don't let anything distract you. 27, no, I strike a blow to my body to make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Wow. Listen to this. I strike a blow to my body. Listen, we are spirit, soul, and body. We are spirit. We have a soul. We live in a body. Yet most people invert that order and they just live to please the body, which ends up quenching the spirit. Be warned. Paul put his body under. He kept, kept discipline so that he could achieve his spiritual goals. Amen? You're going to take up communion. I'm going to ask the ashes to please distribute the communion cups. I'm going to ask the band to take the position because after communion, we're going to worship God. I want us to sing again that last song, how he loves us. I want you to be reminded of his love. But also as you're reminded of his love, I want us to be reminded of our love for him. And I want us as we sing and as we worship to be willing to embrace the cross so that we can receive the crown. Amen, guys. As you take part in communion, now remember this. There is no crown without a cross. Jesus faced the same challenges and temptations and distractions that we do. Yet, he remained focused. He did not run away from his cross. He remained disciplined and faithful to the will of God. And today, he wears a crown. Because of what? Because of that. Because he's gone through this process. He can help us to go through the same process. He can help us to stay focused, disciplined, faithful. By the Spirit of God, he can help us to put our body under, put our fleshly desires under, and prioritize what God wants. Kingdom values. He can help us to stay disciplined, Faithful, putting our body under so that we can attain a crown that will last forever. And so today, as we eat and drink, let us declare boldly that we will reject that notion of a crown without a cross. We are not less than our master. Jesus wore a crown, but he carried a crown cross. We have been given crowns already positionally. They are ours. Let us hold on to it. Let us carry our cross so that in the end we can enjoy our crowns. 
Amen? Can you stand up with me? Has everybody got? All right. As, as soon as you get yours, you can stand and let's get the bread ready. We're going to do this together. Have you got yours as well? Where's yours? Get yours, guys, quickly. Yeah, we're going to do this all together. Have you got yours there? Okay, let's do it. Let's enjoy this together, guys. And we'll sing afterwards. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. <clears throat> As we hold this bread and we come before you now, Father God, we remember the discipline which Jesus had to endure. That he lived as a man in this world, subject to the same temptations and weaknesses that we all do, and yet without sin. He carried his cross until the end. And Lord, as we partake of this bread today, Lord, we are declaring once again, Lord, that you are rejecting this idea of a crown without a cross. Whatever cross it is that we have to carry, O oh Lord, we will do it for you. And with your help and with your power. So Lord Jesus, we thank you for your broken body that brings us all together into one today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Take and eat. Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Trust those of you at home are enjoying communion with us as well now. Let's lift up the cup. Father, this juice reminds us of the shed blood of Jesus that fully paid the price of all our sins. Our salvation, Lord, came at a great cost. A heavy cross, a heavy price, a high price. And we will not, Lord, throw it back in your face by rejecting to carry our cross. I pray for your forgiveness, Lord, for those of us that have at times neglected our disciplines, neglected our worship, neglected our devotion to you, Lord. As we partake in communion today, we are reminded of what you did for us and of who you are today, Lord. And we are reminded that you'll be coming back in glory, hallelujah, to reign. And your desire is that we, all of us, will reign with you, Lord. And so we renew our commitment, Lord, to carry our cross. To reign with you in this life, Lord, in spite of challenges and difficulties. And looking forward to reigning with you forever. Thank you for the blood, Lord. Amen. Take and drink and be blessed as you do so. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. There's no victory without a fight. There's not a sunrise without a night. There's not a purchase without a cost. There's not a crown without a cross. May the Lord enable us to carry our cross until we see Him face to face. Amen. May the love of God the Father, the grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with each one of us as we carry our cross 
daily, shamelessly, until we see him face to face. Amen and amen. Have a wonderful week. God bless you. See you Sunday again. Amen.